Hello. Um, I, there you are. Hi, how are you? Thank you for coming. Good. Glad to hear from you. Can you hear me well? Yes, perfect. Uh, I can hear you very right. well. Um, yeah, so I don't you. know, uh, this uh, seminar will be total to one hour, is that right? Yeah, yeah, around one hour. D is it okay for you? Do you? Yeah, we sure. Can yeah, keep no it at the time. Okay, yeah. perfect. Mm -hmm. so, How are you doing? Uh, very good. So, what is the format? Can you introduce uh, this uh, uh, clubhouse for me? So, because uh, I have never been involved in this activity before. Usually, I just go to Zoom meeting or face to face in person. Yes, of course. Um, yeah. Um, so, this is a. Um, uh, audio usually so it, it was an audio only social media app, app mm. that became kind of famous during COVID time or it kind of started during COVID time and back in time uh, like back then it was through invitation only so we're like a bunch of I... famous people first uh, like media people and so on here mostly and then mm. Um, they, they they grew a lot actually I guess because people like what it's exclusive I guess I'm not sure yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> but also I think it's a different way of social media because you can have conversations that mm -hmm. that are more yeah. meaningful I guess than just writing short text um, you know usually Facebook and Twitter and so on it's just writing mm -hmm. short text so I think a lot gets missed along the way in the message and then so what are the uh, audience they're all faculty from NYU no no this one is a very mixed audience so uh, from all over the world actually and from different oh. backgrounds that's I think that makes it very interesting I see. Uh, discussion because it's um it's a very mixed so they're uh, ph physicists, then um, doctors, uh, then you know scientists like me and you, and then from different fields, engineers like AI uh, engineers. Okay. So I understand. Okay, so I will present about uh, thirty minutes, and the audience might uh, communicate with me. We will discuss about a lot of thirty minutes. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. If, yeah. If that's okay with you, you can also introduce yeah. longer. Oh. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, now I got it. Mm. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's really you know it depends on the speaker, and um, how people want to structure or how long it takes to explain the mm -hmm. subject from your okay. perspective. Um, so and I then yeah. Uh, introduce myself or you will introduce me yeah I'll introduce you um, okay based on you know okay. on the bio and um, sure. yeah and then yeah and then if you want to add something I didn't say or you know, <laughs> okay. or maybe okay. the hmm. story about how you got to do this research sometimes people think it's also interesting to learn or if yes. you there some research, you know, talk about how hard or good it was to get a grant for the, you know, whatever <laughs> you think. Sure. 
the other okay. day we had um, guest speakers. She is doing uh, about breaking um, uh, microbes that became antibiotic resistant. She said it's mm. easy to get grants for the basic science, but then to get grants for um, translational work, it's very hard. She said, like things like that are also interesting to uh, discuss. Depends on uh, what a field you are in. Yeah. So it's really, for example, Alzheimer's disease uh, recently in the past maybe four or five years, uh, government spends a lot of money uh, in this aspect. So it's relatively easier to get uh, more funding if you're working in Alzheimer's disease. That's why a lot of people used to working on some other diseases. Now they shift their <laughs> Uh, their their research focus to Alzheimer's disease. Should we start? Katarina? Oh, sorry, sorry, I was uh, muted and I didn't realize. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was talking and um, and you didn't realize. Yeah, it depends very much on the trend, right? What NIH currently thinks is important and so on. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's start. Um, sure. Welcome everyone to the Science Society and a special welcome to our guest speaker. And I hope I'm saying your name right. Ki Kiang Yi. Yes, um, uh, that's correct. Wow, perfect. I'm so, I'm so happy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and um, yeah, we, um, he will be presenting his latest really very important research. Um, that's quite a breakthrough for Alzheimer's disease. So I'm very, we are very lucky and I'm very happy to have him. And let me introduce you um, to give you a little bit of background information. So, um, he is the department chair in the Shenzhen Institute of Advanced Technology in China. And um, he is the recipient of numerous professional honors, including the Distinguished Scientist Award from the Songtang Foundation and the American Cancer Research Scholar. And um, he has published around uh, 220 papers in a very like um, great journals like Cell, Nature, uh, Nature Medicine, um, Nature Neuroscience, and so on. And his lab is mainly focused on neurotrophin-mediated neuronal survival signaling pathways and their role in neurodegenerative disease. He identified neuro numerous novel track A and track B agonists and these small uh, molecules exhibit potent neurotrophic effect on and display great therapeutic potentials for various neurological diseases, including Alzheimer's disease. Most recently, he found that e AEP acts as a novel delta secretase that leaves both APP and tau and mediates AD um, pathogenesis. Um, so yeah, he... He does very innovative research with novel drug targets. So um, 
and his lab has identified the small molecular inhibitors that display promising new therapeutic efficacy towards AD. Um, just to give you a little bit um, about um, his um, educational background, he um, did his master in science and chemistry Peking University, Beijing, and his bachelor in um, science and chemistry Yilin University in Changchun, China. And his PhD he did at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. And his uh, postdoc at the Department of Neuroscience at the John Hopkins University. Um, and he was then later assistant professor of pathology and laboratory medicine at Emory University. And now, um, yeah, as I said, he is the department chair and um, chair professor, um, uh, faculty of life and health sciences at SIAT. So welcome. Thank you for taking the time in your very busy schedule. And uh, the stage is all yours. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Katerina, for your uh, uh, invitation and kind introduction. Uh, I moved from Atlanta to Shenzhen, uh, which is right next to Hong Kong, about uh, more than half years ago. And uh, I have been as a faculty at Emory for more than 20 years. I joined Emory as assistant professor uh, at the end of 2001 and uh, stayed there from assistant to associate to full professor and stayed there totally 20 years. So I just moved, left Emory uh, last summer, so joined this new institute. So I started my uh, new degenerative, uh, uh, degenerative diseases just by accidentally discovery uh, enzyme for the AEP aspergen endopeptidase. Now we have changed the name from AEP into delta secretase because this is the fourth secretase that can cleave APP and promote A beta production. Actually, it also cleaves the base to enhance beta secretase enzymatic activity to promote A beta production as well. So we made this uh, observation in 2014-2015 to discover that, that AEP selectively cleaves tau and APP and mediate their role in AD pathogenesis. In 2018, we also discovered a very important transcription factor, CBB beta, that strongly selectively mediate AEP upregulation in neuron and in the brain. So if we overexpress CBP beta, it will facilitate. If we knocking down CBP beta, it will substantially attenuate uh, the AD pathology. So uh, in the past few years, we also have a, a, uh, a bunch of paper regarding CBP beta uh, in addition to mediate AEP transcription. It can also mediate APOE transcription as well. In addition, it also mediate APP, tau, and the base transcription as well. In the other word, CB beta function as a command in chief, mediate all of the major players in AD field, 
in addition to uh, upregulate AEP uh, transcription and uh, uh, promote its enzymatic activity, which will lead into uh, APP and tau fragmentation, resulting uh, in beta aggregation and um, hypophosphorylated tau uh, <coughs> from the tangles. So that is the uh, background. So in the past about uh, uh, almost 10 years, we have established CB beta AEP play a major role in driving uh, Alzheimer's disease. Moreover, we have a, a gradual shift from AD into Parkinson's disease as well, because uh, uh, alpha synuclein behaves kind of like a tau uh, in neurons. So we have published uh, a series of paper also demonstrate CP beta AEP pathway play a critical role in driving Parkinson's disease on site. So we have uh, also established um, <clears throat> chronic inflammation driving CP beta AEP pathway will leading to AD on site. Chronic oxidative stress activate CP beta AEP pathway, which will lead to Parkinson disease. So it depends on the upstream stress. CB beta AEP pathway activation will lead to different neurodegenerative disease on site. In addition, we have also uh, previously published before AEP can cut TDP43 and the mediate FTLD uh, pathology. So in the other word, we strongly believe CB beta AEP pathway play an essential role in all of neurodegenerative diseases. So <clears throat> in the past few years, we have also extended our study from established this uh, innovative theory. We have test different risk factors and their role in driving this pathways activation to explain why, for example, traumatic brain injury why uh, APOE4 or diabetes atherosclerosis can uh, um, facilitate uh, AD onset and the progression. So we have published a lot of paper to demonstrate indeed traumatic brain injury and uh, uh, cholesterol combined with APOE4 to activate this pathway to uh, trigger AD onset. So now it's a logical extension to our current uh, nature paper because the women are two times uh, more uh, <clears throat> susceptible to Alzheimer's disease. This phenomenon has puzzled mankind for decades. So this is the, uh, our effort to uh, address the hypothesis whether uh, indeed the CB beta AP pathway also applies to uh, women's susceptibility to Alzheimer's disease. So that's the background. So once we have established this theory uh, to answer why women are more vulnerable will be easier. Um, previous literature has already uh, published show FSH can activate CB beta in Gallardo uh, cells driving a lot of reproductive related genes expression. So we just extend previous findings into uh, neurodegenerative disease field. So 
actually the whole uh, study start from the extended uh, figure two and uh, uh, extended figure three. So actually I will uh, present in uh, a different way, not exactly follow the uh, paper published way because uh, that, that was how we made this discovery. So uh, we performed the in vitro experiment first, actually in the extended figure two, we test whether FSH uh, dose dependent uh, or uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, dose dependent to activate CB beta AEP pathway in uh, neuronal cell lines and also in primary culture neurons. So as we expected, indeed, uh, FSH time-dependent activated CB beta and AEP signaling driving APP and tau cleavage. And we have also monitored AEP's enzymatic activity as condition time-dependent. Moreover, uh, the target gene such as uh, uh, CB beta AEP, APP and uh, tau and also time dependent being uh, upregulated. The next, we locking down the receptor FSHR to interrogate whether this hormone indeed through its uh, coconate receptors to mediate this uh, signaling pathway or not. So next in uh, extended figure three, what we have done is to uh, address whether FSH indeed through CB beta AEP to trigger the downstream uh, APP or tau fragmentation or not. So what we did is uh, in the cell line or primary culture neuron, we uh, deplete CB beta or overexpress the dominant negative uh, AEP mutant, which can block uh, the endogenous AEP. So what we have uh, found indeed uh, depletion CB beta or block AEP, we can successfully uh, blockade FSH induced APP or tau uh, fragmentation. The next we just validate by different approaches in addition to uh, Western blot, we're also using immunofluorescence to uh, validate different downstream biochemical uh, events. So in the same uh, <clears throat> figure, in the extended uh, figure three, we have also demonstrated indeed uh, this uh, synchrony is through its receptor, FSR, which is a G-protein couple receptor, which can activate the downstream uh, ERK signaling, which can lead into CB beta activation through phosphorylation. On the other hand, the AKT is also activated by the receptor, which can lead into SRPK2 phosphorylation, which is the upstream kinase for AEP. We have published a molecular cell paper in 2017. We demonstrate SRPK2 phosphorylation of AEP can drive AEP translocation from nestrum to the cytoplasm where it can cut its substrate. So and then uh, we, uh, <clears throat> we show indeed uh, FSH through uh, the FSHR 
and uh, by acting within downstream ERC uh, uh, and AKT, which then through phosphorylated SRPK2, then subsequently can phosphorylate AEP, activate AEP. So we also use a, a ERC inhibitor or AKT inhibitor to further uh, validate indeed uh, antagonize those kinase. We can block the FSH induced uh, CB beta AEP activation. So those are uh, the in vitro experiment we validate indeed FSH can through its receptor to activate this uh, CB beta AEP pathway leading to APP and tau uh, fragmentation uh, resulting uh, a beta or uh, tau uh, pathology. So next we extend to the figure four. Uh, actually, that's the second uh, first experiment that we perform because this is the most important experiment. We want to do the most important experiment first. So we using young 3XTG male and female mice, and then we uh, inject the recombinant FSH into this animal. We ask whether we can facilitate AD pathology on-site earlier or not. So in figure four and also extended uh, figure five, six, seven, we are uh, <clears throat> addressing uh, these questions. So in figure four, let me see, in figure four, we uh, also monitored the biochemical event after a few months FSH administration, and as we expected, indeed, uh, AEP is upregulated, which leading to APP and tau fragmentation. And also, we performed the uh, behavioral experiment, as we expected, uh, indeed, as the uh, APP and tau fragmentation, the cognitive function uh, is uh, impaired. In the extended figure five, six and uh, uh, seven, actually which uh, validate all the downstream um, pathology effect, such as we performed uh, the re-beta immunohistochemistry, so staining to uh, demonstrate indeed FSH can enhance uh, re-beta or tau aggregation. Uh, of course, we also validate uh, a human recombinant FSH uh, concentration, as we expect, an increase in the brain. But the uh, LH, a lot of hormone, was not uh, altered at all. And moreover, the downstream target, CB beta AEP, APP, and the tau expression uh, significantly increased. So we also perform gauge staining and perform the EM to demonstrate the dendritic the spine and also uh, synapse uh, reduction uh, after FSH uh, treatment. Now next, we also performed a bunch of immunofluorescent staining to further validate the biochemical observation we made by Western blood. 
So those are just uh, different uh, approach to validate the similar observation. Next, in the extended figure six, we uh, supplement with astral dial. Uh, the reason we uh, supplement E2 is because uh, FSH can repress uh, the estrogen or estradiol's concentration. So we want to exclude the potential role uh, of uh, estrogen. So that's why we put it back to maintain uh, estradiol's concentration in the presence of exogenous FSH. So we found, um, again, FSH can trigger uh, AD pathology, even in the presence of the uh, extra dial. So this study suggests FSH trigger uh, AD onsite independent uh, of estrogen. So AD pathogenesis is uh, related to estrogen uh, reduction after menopause. So this why we perform uh, this experiment. Yeah. So in extended figure seven, just demonstrated the pathology, uh, pathology and the biochemical experiment again. So uh, one of these experiments just uh, want to uh, demonstrate one conclusion. Uh, FSH indeed in vitro and in vivo activate CB beta and drive AD onsite independent of estrogen reduction after menopause. So next we move to figure one and also extend here figure one. In this figure, we try to use different model. Uh, usually um, for the ovarian failure, people use uh, uh, ovarectomine as a surgery approach to remove ovarian uh, to mimic the menopause. This is the extensive uh, employee the experimental model to, uh, to mimic ovarian failure. So we use the same model. Uh, we're using uh, the young female 3XTG mouse model to remove uh, the ovarian. And at the meantime, we're also using anti-FSH antibody to specific neutral the upper-regulated uh, FSH hormone. We ask whether we can reverse or alleviate uh, FSH-induced uh, AD pathology or <clears throat> correlative deficit. So basically in uh, figure one and extended uh, uh, figure one way, uh, using different approach to demonstrate, indeed, as we expected, uh, FSH antibody successfully, strongly uh, diminish Western blood staining, uh, demonstrate support this observation. And we also perform Morris water maze to uh, <clears throat> demonstrate and uh, neutralize FSH, indeed alleviate uh, ovarectomy-induced 
uh, AD pathology and uh, cognitive uh, deficit. Uh, moreover, we have uh, validated using different animal model. In addition to 3XTG, we also uh, use uh, the male APPPS1 mice by uh, injecting the FSH. Uh, we can demonstrate uh, the similar uh, effect, A beta uh, production uh, increase. Next, we move to uh, the figure two. In figure two, actually, we uh, want to answer whether the receptor FSHR uh, indeed expressed in neuron in the brain or not, because um, previous study always uh, focus on the uh, gonadal cells or granulosa cells about the FSHR mediated reproductive related uh, signaling transductions. So we shift our study about this signaling into the uh, neurons. So that's why we uh, use extensive approach to uh, demonstrate this. So what we did is uh, using human uh, cell lines or human tissue or mouse uh, tissues here we use a cortex hippocampus or offering as a positive control and also use red neurons. Uh, anyway, we use a different tissue to demonstrate that indeed FSHR is expressed in the central nervous system. And we also demonstrate indeed uh, if we knock out FSHR receptor, immunoblotin uh, observation will be uh, abolish it. We also conduct uh, immunohistochemistry uh, stainings uh, using the testes uh, as a positive control. Uh, here is a uh, knockout mice. Of course, the receptor is completely uh, diminished from the testes. Again, in the dentate gyrus or anterior cortex, uh, the expression was also being abolished. So next, we're using uh, immunofluorescent staining to demonstrate uh, the locking down FSR in the neurons. Uh, we can indeed validate all uh, its uh, different cell types uh, distribution. So this study is to validate, confirm, indeed, FSR expressed in neurons in the central nervous system. So next, we extend our uh, study into the uh, in vivo using the FSR knockout uh, mice. Uh, or, no, we use the, uh, the siRNA to knock down FSHR in the uh, 3XTG's hippocampus by injecting the virus to deplete the receptor. And then use the overrate. Uh, and the CB-beta-AEP signaling pathway will be uh, repressed, which uh, will lead into APP tau fragmentation reduction. So it can uh, <clears throat> block the overrecommend uh, induced 
the AD uh, pathology. So those has been uh, demonstrated in extended figure four in addition to uh, figure three. So here we demonstrate uh, the FSR deletion in the hippocampus can attenuate OVX induced uh, AD pathology and cognitive uh, decline. So next we uh, uh, extend our uh, study uh, uh, into uh, figure four, where we're using the recombinant FSH, yeah, which I have uh, talking about before. Uh, in addition, uh, we uh, addressed whether this hormone can induce any pathology change in wild-type mice or uh, human APP lucky mice. The reason we perform this experiment is we want to know uh, in under baseline or without uh, any exogenous overexpression, uh, human APP or tau, whether uh, upper regulation of FSH is sufficient to induce uh, the AD pathology or cognitive deficit or not. So in the extended figure, Eight. Uh, actually, here we uh, using the wild mice and uh, human APP lucky mice. Uh, we found out, indeed, as we expected, uh, exogenous recombinant FSH administration will lead to CBD beta upregulation and the AEP uh, increase, which will trigger APP and tau fragmentation. However, in well-term mice, we do not say uh, re beta uh, aggregation. By contrast, in uh, human APP like in mice, we do observe uh, the protein uh, inclusion, uh, inclusions in the hippocampus demonstrated by silver staining. So indicating presumably in well-term mice, the mouse re beta are reluctant to aggregate it. Uh, those has been uh, proposed before. By contrast, human A beta are more prone to aggregate it. So that's why we can uh, say the human APP, like in mice, in response to FSH treatment, uh, the silver stain uh, result in the hippocampus. In alignment with this A beta upregulation, uh, behavioral studies suggest indeed human APP lucky mice display the cognitive uh, defects. By contrast, the wild-type mice do not show any uh, memory uh, <coughs> disorders. Uh, next, we also use an uh, immunofluorescent approach to demonstrate indeed in human uh, lucky mice, uh, FSH treatment can uh, activate APP fragmentation and also neuronal cell death and also uh, beta upregulation. So next, we further to interrogate whether FSH induced uh, AD pathology and the behavioral um, deficit indeed through CB beta AEP pathway or not. So next we 
uh, escalation and the new February tangle formation. Uh, so using the FSH antibody, uh, we can uh, specifically neutralize uh, the overrecommend induced upregulation of FSH to abolish overrecommend uh, triggered lead uh, onsite and uh, progression. More over, we have uh, uh, provide extensive uh, uh, and uh, lockout FSHR also abolish overrectamine induced AD pathology and cognitive deficit. Uh, next, we also uh, uh, provide uh, uh, in vivo evidence to further demonstrate indeed FSH or overrectamine through CBG beta AEP pathway in vivo to mediate the AD pathogenesis and uh, uh, learning memory uh, defects. So that's all. Uh, Katarina? Yes, thank you so much uh, for um, explaining this paper um, so well to us. So uh, please um, flash your mics. If you have a question, raise your hand in the audience. Um, and yeah, let, let us know that way who has a question for it. I saw Catherine, you have a question, go ahead. Uh, it's, it's a bit more of a comment. Um, and I do have a bit of a question as well. So Lisa Moscone's group and Richard Isaacson and uh, Cornell, they recently published um, about how important uh, hormone replacement therapy may be estradiol for uh, protection of cognitive decline. And this certainly follows, as we know, uh, also the North American Menopause Society has guidelines recommending hormone replacement therapy for women, but we don't really uh, recommend by the guidelines to be checking FSH and LH levels. But I can tell you in my practice, I check them and we try to keep them, you know, in an early menopausal time. Uh, more, some levels can go as high as 100. Most women, FSH around perimenopause will be 25 to 60. And so I think it's interesting to see this data and to think where my question would be, are you 100% blocking with the FSH antibody treatment? Um, are you getting serum levels? I didn't see that. And do you think that would be something to correlate? Thank you. Okay, perfect. That's a wonderful uh, question. Uh, uh, indeed, the hormone replacer ther uh, therapy uh, have been previously uh, tested in many human clinical trials but a conflicting uh, observation have been reported. Uh, some of the uh, estrogen uh, supplement show uh, some beneficial effect in AD patient, uh, but uh, uh, many of the hormone uh, replacement therapy show either no uh, any beneficial effect or sometimes even have a, a adverse uh, effect. So it's a controversial whether hormone replacement therapy play or can help to alleviate 
80 uh, patients uh, symptom or not uh, is uh, uh, inconclusive yet. So our study suggests that the uh, antibody, which is a specific target, the beta subunit, uh, can su successfully neutralize uh, FSH uh, hormone. Those has been uh, demonstrated extensively in our experiment. We have provided uh, a bunch of evidence to demonstrate indeed our antibodies successfully penetrated into the brain, uh, where it neutralized the hormone without interfere with a lot of hormone LH and can successfully uh, block uh, the FSR mediated signaling transduction. So um, you answer your question, indeed, this uh, uh, antibody is very powerful, which has also been shown before, and FSHR can uh, uh, <clears throat> increase uh, the bone density, because after menopause, uh, the osteoporosis will be uh, taking place in female, and also the uh, visceral uh, deposits uh, <clears throat> will uh, happen as well. So this antibody uh, has been shown by Dr. Mong Zaidi. Uh, Anti-FSHR can effectively uh, <clears throat> treat osteoporosis and uh, the uh, deposits uh, through the upper regulation, the, uh, the energy expenditures. So in this study, uh, he uh, conducted extensive uh, study using this antibody to validate uh, some of the concern you just raised. Actually, uh, now uh, his, uh, we have just got the uh, joint grant. Uh, so we are initiating the IND enabling study to address whether anti-FSHR uh, beta antibody being used for treating Alzheimer's disease. So this IND enabling study with the humanized antibody just studied. Next question. Yeah, please go ahead and ask the next question. Um, please flash your mics um, if you have a question. Mm, yep, Serena uh, Wei, uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, just a, a, a point. Um, what we currently know in terms of the neurotoxicity of the beta amyloid plaques versus smaller tetramers or octamers, at, at one point we were starting to get some evidence that the, you know, the tetramers or so were more specifically toxic. It, um, what's our... Could you comment on what we currently know? Uh, because the, the, I, I, I miss your uh, first part of your question because the, the, I guess the signal was not quite clear, not, not stable. Can you uh, uh, rep uh, repeat sure. your question again? Sure. Can you hear me okay now? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay. I know the question was about the the specific toxicity of the um, the beta amyloid plaques versus smaller tetramers and octamers of the beta amyloid 
Um, at, at, at one point, there was some evidence accumulating that it was um, the smaller tetramers were much more neurotoxic. They'd poke holes in the membrane and, and so forth. Um, I'm just curious if um, if you could comment on what we, we currently know about the specific neurotoxicity and the forms of the beta amyloid that oh, are most toxic. Well, I got your question. So you are asking uh, whether the A-beta uh, toxicity is uh, come from the uh, tetramer or different it, yeah, uh, is oligomers it, it, uh, instead of the... Uh, yeah, I, it's the, you know, the, the beta amyloid plaques themselves versus smaller uh, fragments of the plaques. Uh, Am I cutting out again? And no, I think this one, this time, doctor, you, I think you're, you're cutting out, uh, maybe your connection, uh, it's not good. Oh, now you're muted. I see that you're mute. Are you able to hear us, Dr. Wang? Oh, you're asking me? Um, yes, I can hear you. Okay, uh, Doctor um, Yi, um, the unmute button. I I don't know if you, can you hear us. Wait, let me try to message him. Are you there? Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, can you hear okay. us now? Can you hear us? Uh, yeah. Now I can hear you. Sorry. Uh, yeah. To, to uh, uh, answer your question, uh, in the field, the consensus view is indeed is a beta oligomerous are more toxic at least in uh, visual experiment or some of the in vivo evidence and the people believes the a beta deposit into the snail plaque is kind of protective because you can sequest the oligomers of re-beta into the depot to prevent the diffused re-beta uh, oligomers to uh, contact the cellular part. So, for example, some of the receptors, such as the receptors are neurons, so they can prevent uh, those uh, A-beta oligomers to exert their toxic effect. So that's the uh, consensus uh, <clears throat> uh, conclusion about the A-beta oligomers and your toxicity. Any other question? Uh, I think that the way that you, did you um, unmute um, before to ask a question? Um, okay, uh, Varun, did you have a question? Oh, nothing actually. I was just going through this uh, uh, article that you have pinned uh, against the wall. Uh, I'll, I'll, let me just go through it once, I'll, then I'll just chime in. Oh, sure. Uh, uh, Dr. Mario, you have a question? Yes, um, I do. Um, thank you, Doctor. Uh, I, I don't want to mispronounce okay. your name. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes, Dr. Yi, thank you for your presentation. That was um, really interesting. So I was just wondering, because I'm not very uh, familiar with the SHSY5Y cells, um, mm. and I can see in one of your figures, you measured um, the relative IL-6 and IL-1 beta. And I, I was wondering if um, you had done any experiments post blocking um, the FSH, uh, if that had, if that reverted the, um, the cytokine levels back to, um, to match the control levels. I hope my question makes sense. Oh, uh, yes. So you are asking, uh, uh, first question is, what is the SHSY firewire cells? And also, uh, why the FSH treatment can enhance those uh, uh, inflammatory cytokines, whether we uh, block FSH can uh, decrease those inflammatory cytokines. Is that right? Yes, correct. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, sure. The uh, SHSY farewell is a, a human neuronal cell lines. Those are uh, frequently being used in uh, many, many uh, studies. If you do not want to use a primary culture war to do some preliminary uh, studies. So that's why here we use uh, uh, two cellular model. One is a human SHSY5Y, uh, those uh, uh, neoblastoma uh, uh, cell lines. Um, <clears throat> next, we also use the uh, primal culture neurons yeah, to demonstrate indeed FSH uh, through its receptors to upregulate the signalness. So, uh, in vivo, indeed, we uh, administration of FSH can activate the CEBG beta, these uh, pathways, because this. Uh, 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 transcription factor CEBU beta can not only uh, be activated by inflammatory cytokine. This transcription factor is very interesting. It can function as a transcription factor for many cytokines, such as IL-6. And it has been published before CEBU beta's original name is ILTF interleukin-6 transcription factor. So this transcription factor can not only mediate the inflammatory cytokines expression, uh, on the other hand, it can also be activated by those uh, cytokines in addition to be activated by A-beta. So to uh, neutralize the FSH by its antibody, we can successfully to decrease those inflammatory cytokines because the CEB-beta uh, activation is being uh, blunted. So any other questions? Hello, hi, Dr. Yi. Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Wei, Wei from NIH, that's a fascinating story. So I am curious, what do you think the normal function of FSH in neurons? Mm, that's a, a very good uh, question. Uh, the short answer is, I do not know. Yeah. 
I do not know. Because in the field, uh, people over the past decades just focus on this FSH, FSHR synchrony in the reproductive system in the gallaudel cells. And uh, so this is a very few experiment demonstrate indeed this synchrony uh, can play some role in central nervous system in neurons. So the short answer is I do not know uh, physiologically what do they do. Um, so in the future, maybe we could explore in this direction. Uh, thanks, but uh, do you know uh, the uh, uh, how broadly are they expressed in neurons? Do they specifically in the hippocampal area or uh, across the whole brain? All the neurons uh, express the receptor. This experiment has been uh, addressed by uh, Dr. Zaidi's group because uh, uh, his field is endocrinology. His uh, whole research is focused on the FSH, FSHR synchronous. So that's why we collaborated. My focus is mainly is the Alzheimer's disease, CAV, beta, AEV pathways in, in AD and PD. So that's why we collaborated. So uh, he has done extensive uh, study. In addition to the uh, hippocampus, such as dentigerous, he also demonstrated this receptor expressed in the entorenal cortex. And also he has shown this receptor can be expressed in other brain region uh, in uh, different uh, uh, neurons. Uh, however, uh, he did not observe this receptor, at least not in high abundance, in astrocyte or microglia, so mainly expressed in neurons. However, we do not know physiologically what does FSH, FSHR do in Europe. Thank you. Sure, you're welcome. Any more questions? Yes, Dr. Yi, thank you so much. I just, uh, want, to, just, just want to double check. So this has clinical application for men as well as women, no? Uh, you are talking about uh, the CEB beta AEP pathway or talking about FSH? Talking about the FSH blockade. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, since uh, FSH play much, much more important role in female than male, uh, I'm talking about for the AD onsite, even though we're using uh, both male and female 3x TG mice, exogenously administrative of a high dose of FSH to mimic the men after menopause escalation of FSH. We do observe the AD pathology uh, happening in both male and female mice. Uh, however, it's uh, our belief. Um, this clinical trial will be uh, mainly focused on the female patient. Presumably, we might in the future choose some male patient. However, that's not what we believe uh, is really uh, due to uh, FSH increase in male. Even though it's increased a little bit, uh, 
uh, over the time. However, in female, it's an uh, increase of uh, uh, 30, 40, or even 50 folds. In male, only two or three folds uh, during the aging process. So that's why we believe uh, the antibody might be more beneficial for the female patient as compared to the male patient. Yeah, doctor, uh, what are the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease uh, other than uh, uh, loss of memory? Uh, I, can you uh, uh, speak a little bit? Yeah, I was asking you what are the symptoms of uh, Alzheimer's disease other than uh, loss of memory? Hello? Hello? Am I audible? Hello? Hello, Varun. We can hear you. I don't know if Dr. Yi is able to hear you. Well, uh, I think I couldn't hear well. Mm. Oh, yeah. Now we can hear uh, doctor, you. My, like, my question was predominantly based on whether like you like uh, uh, your memory loss is like short term or like like do you like forget and you can recollect or or uh, like I mean, if you forget things like uh, they are gone permanently, how how is it? Mm, I, I still cannot hear the question. Well, uh, uh, Katerina, can you help me <laughs> so that I understand the, the question better because the signal is not quite uh, stable. Um, Varun, you're asking what the other symptoms of Alzheimer's is or what the other yeah function? both both question yeah both, both question but uh, when they say memory loss right so i mean how would you actually define memory loss like uh, what is actually happening uh, when they say you are losing memory um, and so one of the clinical like, indicators of the of the result like you're asking for the clinical no no uh, not clinical i'm i'm asking something in general whatever it is what generally Alzheimer's how in the work. in the cells in the brain cells what happens yeah, yeah Alzheimer's in the brain cells um yeah do you want to answer Dr. Yi or should uh, I understand uh, his questions oh he's just asking in general what happens in the cell when alzheimer's occurs like what, so he's asking what? the general yeah oh okay now i got it okay actually there's no short answer for this question because this uh, uh, alzheimer's disease is a very complicated process and it take about uh, 20 or 30 years to happen so usually for example a beta start from our full uh, uh, <clears throat> full, uh, uh, the, the forehead at the beginning uh, at uh, the later 30 or earlier 40 years old okay tau happened in the brain stem a little bit uh, later so these two pathology happened in our brain at a different time and a different locations. So um, our memory is mainly mediated by the cholinergic neurons in the hippocampus. So when Alzheimer's happens, 
many of these uh, uh, cells responsible for uh, memorize or store our memory started to degenerate. Mainly is the at the beginning is the uh, basal forebrain cholinergic neurons. Yeah. Those uh, neurons will uh, be very vulnerable for A beta or tau uh, stress. So at the beginning, those neurons start to uh, to die, and then uh, at that time we also have a, a cumulative uh, inflammation going on in our brain because there's a lot of insoluble uh, aggregates such as a beta or insoluble tau. They will uh, spread widespread in our brain. They will trigger a lot of inflammation. Uh, the chronic inflammation will uh, amplify the signaling, what I just uh, talking about. And uh, those could be exacerbated after menopause because the highly increased uh, FSH could activate the signaling I just talking about to leading to more and more uh, A-beta production or tau fragmentation, they will aggregate into the, the tangles or, 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 or insoluble uh, inclusions will further uh, trigger the inflammation. Those will lead into more and massive uh, neuronal cell death and will lead into our memory loss. So uh, that's the uh, whole picture uh, of uh, what happening in, in our brain over uh, the, let's say, start from uh, later 40 or earlier 50s until maybe 70 or 80s or even uh, later. So those will uh, last about 30 or 40 years, this whole process, actually. Yeah, so it's a very complicated process. Cannot be, there's no any short answer to, to address your question. Any other scientific questions? Yeah, just to um, follow up uh, Catherine's comments, um, questions about hormone replacement therapy, specifically estradiol, um, I didn't quite follow what was inconclusive about whether it helped, but could you summarize um, any, any indications uh, of how um, estradiol supplementation could somehow help and what, what was inconclusive about uh, that? Oh, so uh, let me, uh, because the signal was unstable, uh, <laughs> I, I did not hear well, but I guess I catch a part of uh, what you're talking about. Uh, what is the inconclusive about the HRT in clinical trial? Is that right? Yeah, and specifically estradiol, yes. Yeah, so uh, for those uh, hormone uh, therapies, uh, as I just indicated, there's a, a numerous uh, clinical trials uh, have been uh, performed in different centers. There's uh, a lot of uh, publications in this field. As I just uh, 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 talking about, there's uh, uh, conflicting observations. Uh, some reports say it's beneficial. Some say uh, it's uh, 
no any effect at all. Uh, some even have a adverse effect because the, no matter estrogen or estradiol uh, have been demonstrated, they have the potential or uh, have the risk to trigger uh, the uh, cancers. So that's why people even worry about uh, uh, using the hormone uh, therapy for treating uh, AD. induce uh, some cancers. So that's why, um, in addition to uh, one of the concerns. Yeah, he was yeah. a little bit in the matrix, but uh, Serena, if you'd like, I can tell you, I, I'm certified in menopause care and the data, I would call it dirty. It's conflicted. We have data that includes synthetic uh, progest or sorry, estradiol, like Premarin, Prempro, that's the Women's Health Initiative data, and it showed a signal for perhaps increased cardiovascular events, increased incidence of breast cancer. Now, when that data is a little cleaner and we're using uh, less synthetic estrogens and we're looking at cohorts of women who don't otherwise have uh, diabetes, obesity, smoking, you know, it's hard to really see because we're also seeing the aging, you know, and how much is aging contributed by that yeah. lack of estradiol and that yeah. heightening of FSH, which is a signal that we see in perimenopause as well. And women will report very commonly in the perimenopausal and menopausal transition, brain fog, confusion, forgetfulness. And um, the goal is to replace estrogen in the lowest dose for the shortest amount of time possible with the safest estradiol in an appropriate candidate. So a woman who doesn't have a known risk of cancer or active cancer, doesn't otherwise have a, a stroke or you know cardiovascular profile that would be worrisome. But estradiol itself tends to be very anti-inflammatory. It confers cardiovascular protection. In many ways, we see less uh, atherogenic cholesterol particles in a woman um, who is premenopausal. So I would say this contradictory data is not surprising because it's very difficult to look mm. at this. And I think ideally having the appropriate candidate who's otherwise has optimal health parameters is, is really the goal and something we should be looking at all of the factors that contribute to a woman's vascular health and mm. not just um, the hormones. Oh, thank you very much for the explanation. Yeah. I learned a lot. <laughs> I Dr. appreciate it. Dr. Dr. Could you explain about this sequence uh, that LV, YK, DP, ARP, NT, QZ? If you were go to if you were to go to the article, the first page, FSHAB prevents the AD phenotype. Second paragraph. Karina, are you there? Yes, I'm there. I'm trying to look at uh, what first, uh, first page. First page, second paragraph. FSHAB prevents the AD phenotype in that yes uh, what what is uh, unclear can can you some can you throw some light on uh, what does that sequence mean amino acid mouse fsh uh, beta sequence lv oh. y k d p r p n t okay so this is the this is the antigen 
we Dr. Zaidi used to generate this antibody so that this anti-FSH beta antibody can survive. Doctor, we I think you're breaking up again. Can you hear me? No, I think he's muted. Doctor, yeah, you're muted. Hello. Um, can you hear us? No, I think yeah, you're still muted. Yes. Uh, can you hear us now? Um, we, we can't hear you. Uh, maybe we can talk. Uh, I think it might. Uh, we could hear a little bit, but you're still breaking up. Maybe it's a connection, um, issue. If you maybe uh, turn the Wi-Fi on and off, maybe it improves or... Um, I don't know. Be, uh, use, you're muted again. Uh, can you... Wait, I'll... Can you write in the chat if you can hear us or not? Um, I don't think Dr. E can hear us, um, currently. So, um, I'm not sure what, um, he was explaining exactly, but, um, I think you, it's the antibody they use to basically block um, the hormone. Um, yeah, here. Yeah. Please. Oh, now we can yeah. hear you. I. Think. Because the signal was unstable. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I missed it. So, uh, I'm not sure whether I have answered that gentleman correct, uh, clearly. Uh, so, uh, just in case he did not uh hear it, uh, hear it, I will repeat it again. So, that sequence was the antigen we used to generate the antibody. So uh, Dr. Zaidi uh, used this antigen to make a specific antibody. This antibody can selectively binds to the hormone, prevent the hormone binds to its receptor to neutralize the signaling. So this uh, antibody does not affect the concentration of the hormone in the only block it from bind to its receptor to exert the biological function. Um, I have a question. Are you currently planning to do clinical studies with the um, using the same approach as you used in the mice? Uh, yes, as I just indicated, uh, uh, we, uh, Dr. Zaidi and I, uh, and the Emory group, got the NIH funding to do the IND enabling study before we do the clinical trial. 
So if uh, we demonstrate indeed this humanized antibody are safe and also uh, can be manufactured in large quality and uh, uh, demonstrate indeed we could reproduce this observation in, in independent hands, then uh, uh, I guess the clinical trial will be initiated maybe in two years. Oh, that's wonderful news. I hope... In addition to that, actually, we have the uh, AEP inhibitors, and those can be more extended, uh, extensive used in, uh, in addition to AD and also for PD, for Parkinson's disease, and also can be used for even treated osteoporosis as well. So uh, the inhibitors, that drug against AEP, now is in the uh, uh, pre-IND stage. So uh, the clinical trial could be also initiated maybe in a couple of years as well. Yeah, that's a different uh, alternative approach to target this pathway. Um, yeah, that's, um, I, I wish you all the best for uh, the next year. I think it will be very important, and uh, I will be in line <laughs> at some point to take it. I hope our, our, our medicines will be uh, helpful for you. Yeah, for all of us. I mean, uh, okay. you know, uh, just in case, I would just take it. <laughs> um, okay. But Any more questions in yeah, the audience? Exactly. Yes. Yes, uh, Doctor. Yes. Yeah. So I, uh, I was wondering if there's any uh, epidemiology data for women that went through uh, ovarianectomy. Do they have a higher incidence of Alzheimer's disease? Yes, uh, those uh, actually was uh, documented in our original manuscript, and mm. uh, because uh, nature, you uh, the the world limits, I guess maybe some of those literature been. Uh, removed. Yes, the short answer is yes. There's a, a tons of epidemiology study demonstrate uh, uh, the ovarectomy surgery will uh, enhance uh, the lady risk in many women. Cool. Thank you. Sure. Uh, I have another question with respect to APOE allele. Um, mm. Are there any studies looking uh, to see if there's, um, you know, interest in looking at the APOE 3, 4, or 4, 4? With, uh -huh. uh, oh, mm -hmm. uh, good question. Yes, uh, those actually has been extended study in uh, literatures uh, for female, uh, one copy of APOE 4, uh, they uh, are prone to develop AD much earlier than male. However, for uh, APOE4, APOE4, those are homozygous female, and they display the similar pace as the male. So in the other word, single copy of APOE4 compared to men, female, are more vulnerable. Those have been published before in, few, uh, in, in human, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
there's a lot of clinical study demonstrate that. And we have a, a research paper to addressing why APOE4 uh, could uh, exacerbate FSH uh, effect in triggering uh, the AD pathogenesis. Um, I have a question. Could FSH, FSH um, have a similar... I know the levels in men doesn't change as much, but uh, could there be a link to Parkinson um, in male and, you know, that in female, for whatever reason, it triggers uh, Alzheimer's and then in male, maybe Parkinson? Oh, that's a, a wonderful question. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, uh, Parkinson's disease uh, is uh, relatively more abundant in male compared to female. AD is opposite. In AD, female is uh, two or three times more uh, for women uh, than the men. Uh, Parkinson's disease is a little bit uh, 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 higher for, for men. Uh, there's no any current, there's no any evidence to suggest FSH might play any role in Parkinson's uh, disease. Uh, so uh, actually in my lab, we are starting to uh, explore this possibility. However, it's too uh, premature to answer whether uh, it play any role in male uh, Parkinson's disease by this hormone or not. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm curious to hear. Uh, <laughs> That's a wonderful yeah. question. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and of note, hypogonadal men uh, do have higher levels of FSH. They don't get as high as we see in women in menopause, but they certainly can double out of normal range for a man mm. who has lower, lower than optimal uh, free testosterone levels. So that is a biomarker that we use uh, when considering replacement, because for men, they make estradiol from testosterone. So. Uh, there is uh, some protective features, we believe, of estrogen and where the cardiovascular risk can lie for men who are testosterone deficient. Mm. Mm. Thank you. That's very informative. So, so related to that question uh, regarding uh, uh, female-male difference, so uh, are you indicate that the pathophysiology of Alzheimer might be different between male and female? For instance, if male has much lower level of uh, FSH, does that imply they, the, the neuron may express higher receptor or sensitivity is different? Or what do you think, what are your th uh, thoughts on this difference between male and female, particularly in, in the, um, you know, uh, whatever happens to the neuron part? Okay, uh, so we do not think FSHR expression, there's any difference in male or female neurons for those cells, they're the same. Yeah, the expression abundance or level might be comparable. It is the hormone that drives the signaling activation is a, a, a hugely different uh, between the male and the female, which leading to the downstream signaling highly upregulation in the female compared to the male. So it's not the receptor distribution or expression level difference in neurons. 
I see. But the, the difference uh, level of FSH is, as you mentioned, alluded hugely different uh, yeah. between in, in women is like uh, maybe more than 10 times higher. So how, how, how do you envision for, for men to uh, develop Alzheimer? What, oh, what oh, could, okay. Yeah. That's a good question. So for the risk factor for men, uh, mainly is the, uh, for example, diabetes, atherosclerosis, and uh, hypertension. Uh, those has been well documented. Those uh, age-related uh, chronic diseases are high risk factor uh, for male to develop AD in addition to traumatic brain injury. Those diabetes, atherosclerosis, and hypertension, they are uh, the risk factors. And also, uh, as we just indicated, APOE4, uh, this gene can also highly increase the possibility of AD onset and progression for male as well. So are those risk factors in any way related to the FSH signaling? No, those are, those are independent. So that's why male can also develop AD as well, just because they have those hypertension, diabetes, or atherosclerosis, or uh, APOE4 genes. Okay, thank you. Yeah, FSH just give additional uh, risk factor to increase women's art. Thanks. Sure. Okay, Katerina? Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. if no more questions, then I gotta go. Uh, at 10.30, I might have uh, some other uh, meetings going on. So yes. uh, thank you very much uh, for the opportunity. Uh, maybe if uh, there's more questions, you can email me. I could answer it through uh, the email. Yes, thank you so much for taking the time and for staying longer than we planned. There were a lot of questions and we can uh, go. Sure, yeah, you can forward <laughs> me uh, yeah, through the, the, the email. Yeah. Yes, thank you so much again. You, but uh, it was no problem. You're welcome. Okay, it's really nice to talking to you and the audience. It's really my great pleasure. Thank okay, you. I so gotta much, go. Dr. Ye. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, Dr. Ye. Yeah. Bye. Okay. Thank bye you, bye. Dr. Yi. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Very nice. Thank you. Um, I had a follow-up question, though. Um, and Catherine, I I back-channeled you. Um, I'm wondering if it's in terms of the HRT and the um, uh, whether progesterone has. Uh, I was going to ask Yi, Dr. Yi, if um, progesterone had been looked at, but I understand that in combination with estradiol, it can have some protective effects against some of the cancers. Um, I don't know if anyone has any further information on that. Yeah, we use uh, progesterone in women who have a uterus. It's you have to use progesterone because it does offset the proliferative changes that we see in the endometrial lining of the uterus, which can predispose women to endometrial cancers. So you have estrogen receptors in the uterus and women can have dysfunctional bleeding uh, when those cells become uh, 
proliferated with hormone replacement therapy. It's quite uncommon, but there are some women who have genetic risks for that. And there are some women who are just very sensitive to estrogen and can get some hyperplastic cell changes there that can go on to be carcinogenic. So the good news is those cancers uh, tend to have symptoms, you know, if you have uh, that complication of hormone replacement therapy, because you will have vaginal bleeding. Progesterone otherwise has um, uh, neuroprotective effects in the brain. It's a precursor to allopregnenolone, which is a GABA um, pathway, and so it can be calming. It's an anxiolytic. It also offsets some of the bloating. It's a mild diuretic, so it may work on um, some vascular components as well. Does it offer any protective effects to, towards breast cancer? We don't have great data on that. Um, they, they stain breast cancers for estrogen and progesterone receptors. But of course, we know there are other factors at play for women's breast cancer. So progesterone tends to offset the, the bloating that can come. So there can be more cystic change or density in the breast related to progesterone use. That's the extent to which I can answer your question. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, um, if so, as Dr. We said, uh, you said, um, if you have questions, uh, please back channel them to me or contact me and I will forward them and, um, and answer them. So, um, yeah, if you want to continue the discussion, it's fine. Like we can, we can keep the room open and continue the discussion. Um, yeah, let me know because Jake, I know you uh, came to the stage and Leslie, nice to see you, Leslie, um, you came up, maybe you wanted to comment or share something, please go ahead. I got a question if possible, is now the good time to ask it? Yeah, yeah, I hope I can answer it. If not, I'll forward the question and then get back to you. Okay. Um, I got a buddy who's got Alzheimer's, and I wonder. Um, I'm very. Uh, this is all new to me. I'm, I've just sort of been uh, exposed to it. Um, I'm curious as to why people that have Alzheimer's have it, and then others that don't have it don't. Uh, the question is, is you know how when you go to sleep. Uh, your brain is sort of cleaning itself out. There's uh, a major chemical change inside the, the brain itself to, to sort of like purify it. Um, is this sort of a disorder uh, because there's something wrong with the cleaning process? Uh, or is it other than that? Yeah, so um, the paper we talked about, or um, Dr. Yi, his paper, um, his really extensive study. Um, this was more the case for um, the higher risk in women and Alzheimer is um, that this hormone, um, he showed direct evidence that this hormone um, can elicit um, ADD and by blocking it in different ways, he blocked it with an antibody and then he made knockdown um, versions and then he took the ovaries out um, in the animals. So he showed it in very different ways that um, this hormone can elicit basically uh, Alzheimer's. 
but in man um, he said that there are other mechanisms that most likely um, trigger this and yeah you uh, talked about that the brain is not efficient anymore at cleaning out um, proteins that are misfolded and so on and um, a big role there um, play the the glia cells and yes it has been shown that um, chronic inflammation and if glia don't do the job anymore of cleaning out um, of cleaning up basically then um, that the ink there's a high increased risk for dementia or alzheimer's for having these plugs so um, yeah and sleeping um, having enough sleep plays a huge role hey leslie you want to say something oh no i'll i'll catch them later because uh, i i had some specific stuff uh with uh um parkinson's but um no i i just had a comment because it's it's not my field of specialty but i just caught a uh study show you know uh with reference to the sleeping it was it was really interesting they showed a correlation both ways between uh uh, napping uh, for uh, elderly people developing Alzheimer's and then in reverse Alzheimer's patients do more uh, uh, midday napping so uh, that you, you know tangentially might play into some of the uh, sleep issues because uh, elderly people tend to have uh, shorter amounts of night's sleep and not as deep yeah that's that's oh thank you for reminding me leslie and there came another paper out last week or was it this week that um showed um that there are specific genes like they found that in some people they have i think four or five genes that um are responsible for having a really good quality of sleep even if it's just a few hours and in those people they are way more resilient in that in the way that they don't get mental health issues and Alzheimer's dementia and Parkinson they are protected against that so um, the, the amount of sleep apparently is is depending on um, what genetics you have so the amount of sleep is not necessarily the most important factor is the quality of sleep in the time you sleep and um, yeah so, so genetics apparently plays a bigger role than than we thought before yeah that would be uh, actually interesting to uh look at, at any correlations between uh, bipolar and um, and uh, both Parkinson's and Alzheimer's you know as far as uh, brain clearing because uh, bipolar is mainly a circadian uh, well it's, it's a big part of it is a circadian rhythm failure basically yeah also autism they, it's a you know also an issue of um, being able to sleep well I think um, the I think one big factor is the zinc um, the zinc factor 
um, that influences then the melatonin release um, and then affects also the sleep quality um, and then also vitamin D levels, I think. So I have to look back into it at some point. I wrote like a short review about it, but it's so many years ago. I'd have to look at it, but there's a, um, yeah, so hopefully we find ways with these new studies how to increase in people quality of sleep, maybe block this hormone. I'm really looking forward to, to have them a human way of blocking this hormone, um, hopefully in the next 10 years for me. <laughs> I, I, I'll just take it. I mean, there's doesn't seem to be anything bad about it. Your bone density stays healthy. You don't get so fat your cholesterol and you protect it against alzheimer's i don't i don't see any downside with this really rare yeah i i, I would also like to comment that i'm not really convinced that um parkinson's is uh, especially when you look at all the parkinsonians uh diseases that uh there's really a sex-linked uh, bias because uh, there's a huge societal bias uh, once we get to doing uh, uh, research with Parkinsonians patients. Unfortunately, our cohorts are typically 85 to 90% male. That is because they have a, uh, they typically uh, the, the, the people typically have a woman at home that is a, a spouse at home that is supporting them uh, to come in and uh, uh, through the complexities of research, while we don't find this quite the same thing in reverse. Now that we're looking more at uh, prodromal, well, there's, this actually plays into it because um, uh, we're looking uh, back to uh, uh, essentially sleep disorders as far as um, not if, if you don't uh, inhibit muscular motion, uh, that's really easy to catch uh, in a sleep study. Um, for a full diagnosis, you also have to um, act out dreams, which uh, you can't always catch in a sleep study, but uh, obviously, again, having a spouse uh, or someone sleeping with you helps catch that. And uh, probably within 10 years, about two thirds of people go on to develop a Parkinsonian's disease. Um, uh, a lot of, I, I think it was uh, really got higher profile as a warning sign when uh, Alan Alda finally came out with having Parkinson's disease and said that uh, he was diagnosed because uh, he was uh, acting out dreams. So, so, so again, more, more sleep stuff, but uh, once you get to the prodromal stages where people are still mobile there, I don't, I, I'm not really seeing a, uh, as much of a sex linked bias, except that what Parkinsonian's disease people tend to get might be different as far as maybe Louis's body versus Parkinsonian's versus tremors. Sorry, I talked too long. Bye. No, thank you for that information. You know so much more than 
me here. So I'm glad that you came to share that with us. Um, yeah, it's interesting how much sleep, um, um, yeah, how much quality of sleep apparently and how we sleep. Um, uh, for uh, uh, First of all, maybe the best um, way of diagnosing things early and uh, also influence our health uh, for long-term uh, quality of life health so much. So um, yeah, we should we should really study it more and, um, and focus on that. So uh, thank you for that. Oh, I also did you say that if you are able to act out your dreams, you're more likely to uh, uh, get some this disease? Is that what you said? A second yes, um, it is uh, absent any medication that is uh, so normally during REM sleep, you uh, basically um, are, are, are in a state where uh, you, you uh, kind of disconnect your muscle system. If sleep you paralysis. have movement during REM sleep, that's what you can catch in uh, sleep studies, not a great sign. If you act out your dreams, absent any um, uh, abs uh, and again, we don't have any sort of statistics, except I just asked my lab mates informally, you, you know, uh, so, so so this is very informal as, as, as far as maybe more from a clinical standpoint, just how people feel about it. Yes, acting out uh, a dream during REM sleep is uh, a really strong indicator of uh, a uh, uh, so something that might uh, develop into Parkinsonians down the line or or again might be diagnosable at that point because so just, to, yeah. just to clarify are you talking about like sleepwalking or having dreams oh, oh, that you oh, no 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 not not sleepwalking that 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 is very different no no don't 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 worry about sleepwalking this would be uh, so I don't know if you've ever woken up from a dream and been frozen where you can't move. That is the typical experience. Um, I have done that a couple times, but only maybe yeah. once or twice in my whole life. Yeah. Well, I, I am keeping my fingers crossed that, that, that I am on medication that is uh, promoting... <laughs> Uh, so some uh, amount of REM movement. I, I I have woken myself up by doing a roundhouse kick that uh, I had in my dream and uh, kick myself out of bed. You know, nice. So yeah, 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 nice stuff like that. So specifically, again, to share Alan Elda's story, he had a dream about eating a marshmallow. He was eating his pillow. Sad to say, I really like Alan Elda. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> so, so th th things like that, wh wh whether it, it is a sudden motion that, that you are doing or something like that, and other things are not going to fall under it. Like I have severe myoclonus, so I'm hoping that uh, what I'm doing is related to that and not pre-Parkinsonians. But... Yeah, again, the formal, di the formal diagnosis has to do with movement, but there are a lot of prodromal symptoms, but unfortunately, 
The biggest ones are constipation and depression, which, and sometimes loss of smell, which especially these days isn't very indicative anymore. Um, yeah, well, well, I could go on about Parkinsonians, but I, I, I will just say, you, you know, they're, it, it looks like there are neuronal and skin changes and, or, or, or uh, neuronal changes that, that, that you can uh, see at the level of the skin. People are looking for that. But um, stepping back, we are not doing a good job of diagnosing everyone with Parkinson's disease, and in particular, poor people and uh, BIPOC people tend to get left out of this. It is, we, we, we don't even have BIPOC people in our studies. You know, and we talk about it because there's a lack of diversity. We are basically studying white males because, uh, again, we the, the women don't have even the white women don't have the support to come in. I, I it does ring a bell or not ring a bell, but it makes me I kind of have the same uh, caution uh, about the 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 difference between the man and the woman kind of thing. Cause there there's, you know, as far as the chromosomes go, there's so much uh, difference that there's, there's actually more uh, not a black and white picture when it comes to boys and girls uh, in, in, in world and, and, and biology altogether that, you know, I just, I don't, I think that drawing that line sort of uh, negates a lot of uh, a lot of good science that could come out of it. I think it goes a little deeper than than that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, true, true. But in in this case, uh, our our speaker had a specific hypothesis that that it had to do with uh, 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 sex hormones, which it would make sense then to have a difference between men and women. Isn't it, am I wrong by saying that there's a whole bunch of people who, who actually have, uh, it's not just two types of chromosomes. Uh, and, and there's a lot of people, there's a lot of males who actually have ovaries, uh, and there, there's a lot of, uh, 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 a, a blurring of the line versus such a black and white, uh, tr uh transition. Uh, am I wrong by saying that or, or no? Um, I, I think that about, and, and usually it's much more subtle. You're, you, you might be convolving, uh, so, sometimes there are, uh, it's, it's possible to, uh, play around, uh, uh, a, a little more with the, uh, sex chromosomes so you can get, uh, triple X, XXY, uh, uh, things like that. Um. The the uh, and something that plays into that that doesn't is not necessarily chromosomal is is I believe the statistics are about one out of every thousand births has some uh, intersex characteristics. It's not directly on on the comment, but do you want to like talk about Trisha's case? 
Um, I, I don't need to talk about it, you, you know, really specifically, but I, I, I do have a, a friend that, that, uh, initially could, considered herself trans, but then she, she found out that she had, uh, intersex characteristics because, uh, because, uh, again, the, the way her endocrine system was working and, uh, genetically she is, uh, XY, but, uh, just, just, ju just by who she is and, uh, and maybe the influence, uh, of, uh, ha having, uh, some intersex characteristics. She considers that she was originally intersex and, uh, and she was in California, who's a, where they're a little more liberal, and she was able to amend her birth certificate to uh, be born female. So, so, so you you know these things are very fuzzy. <laughs> uh, pe pe people think about the most dramatic cases of having uh, to uh, you, you know having both. Uh, uh, um, uh, sexual organs, which happens occasionally, but usually it's a lot more subtle. Yeah, I just wanted to share the, um, I, I, I used this news article, but there were a bunch of coming out with the, it was a study coming out that um, a simple skin test can confirm Parkinson's diagnosis because there's a lot of misdiagnosis, way too late diagnosis um, that um, is happening because uh, it's really hard to see, um, to basically prove that this is Parkinson due to the cell death of the dopaminergic cells or if something else is happening, especially in the beginning of the onset or maybe uh, hopefully yeah, the test will will maybe help with the earlier and there was yeah. another yeah. Uh -huh. so, so, sorry go on yeah. but but yeah the um yeah that that was what i was uh mentioning that 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 one of the um uh one, one of the very early prodromal might have to do with uh, neuron changes uh, in the skin, which is something you could test for. But uh, as uh, um, but but again, you would have to think uh, about doing this because you kind of uh, right now we do not have anything that is protective uh, abs that, that we absolutely know or, or even strongly suspect is protective uh, uh, against the pro progression of Parkinson's disease. Uh, one of the things is catching it at that skin level is that that might be uh, prior to brain changes because we, we are thinking that, that there are uh, changes uh, systemically in the body before it reaches the brain. So kind of uh, there, there would be hope that we could do more in that case, number one. And uh, or earlier is better because uh, 
exercise is is our best guess at something that is uh, uh, at least slightly protective. Um, anyway, <laughs> the uh, oh where oh where is I going with that? The the other thing that is really fascinating is that there is a woman that could smell Parkinson's disease. And this this was proven in a, a double blind study. She got one wrong, and that was that she identified someone that uh, this is like out of twenty. It was ten and ten. She she got one of the controls wrong, but guess what? This person developed uh, diagnosable Parkinsonians uh, two or three years later. <laughs> So what's really exciting is uh, that 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 was uh, uh, demonstrated a while ago, but uh, in in the past year, uh, and unfortunately it's proprietary. They're not going to tell us much about it, but they did uh, isolate the compound that she is smelling. So that could be really amazing too. But I. I think as uh, Katerina and I both know, there's having the idea to do a test, which can be complex, and uh, you, you have to think about doing it. Uh, Parkinsonians is uh, strongly environmental as well and doesn't necessarily run in families. It depends. And uh, having different means like... Uh, uh, well, I'll let Katerina tell you about the, the, the motion stuff. I mean, that, that uh, pe people uh, changing their speech patterns uh, to, to, to try and start screening widely could be really amazing, too, because, uh, again, we're already missing a lot of people. <laughs> Yes, we are, and way too late diagnosing. And interest that is very interesting. You told me that before, and then I looked this up and I found it again, that to, there is a, a digit, artificial intelligence is developing a sense of smell. So hopefully they can train artificial intelligence to that smell. Um, that would be interesting and maybe our phones can tell us uh, if we are developing Parkinson earlier on that would be quite or you know our um, watches or something would be interesting um, yeah I if I can remember correctly did I hear something about uh, uh, an animal being able to smell uh, this this type of thing, or was was that just cancer? I, I, I can't quite remember. Yeah, cancer definitely, uh, but could be also other disease. I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, uh, I mean, <laughs> do people with Parkinson's they also have uh, breathing problems other than the you know the loss of uh, smell? Uh, no, there, there aren't breathing problems. It is, well, well fortunately, uh, it, it's not affecting the, uh, uh, autonomic, uh, systems. Uh, it has to do with, uh, 
taking out the uh, dopaminergic hind parts uh, of the brain that uh, have all of our patterns for walking and all the redundancies. Um, Parkinsonian's patients, uh, you, you can demonstrate that, that, that they are spending conscious effort in trying to walk. Uh, you can basically uh, crash their walking ability by uh, asking them to, uh, say, count backwards in threes from 100. Uh, if, 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 if you uh, tap, you know, have another uh, cognitive ta task, and that's why coming to a doorway, coming to an elevator, all of, all of these things are challenging because they're trying to process something new and they are processing moving their limbs. <laughs> yeah, interestingly, such things as like riding a bicycle, sometimes movements like that, that are more cerebellum driven, uh, they work just fine. Like uh, all of the, if you give like a stimulator, like if you, if somebody else induces like automized learned movements like these, um, like they have a hard time um, starting this movement. But once they start, they they are very interesting like videos that a person with Parkinson's can perfectly find. Uh, ride the bicycle. Soon as he steps off the bicycle, then um, then you see the 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 regular park pattern of uh, Parkinson's disease. Um, I think they're probably on YouTube or so. Yeah. What, what is really odd and, and unfortunately it's, it's hard to get a handle on what to do with this research-wise to, to help or show what's going on, but Parkinsonian's patients, uh, th th this was actually noticed by a caregiver that uh, her uh, father, I think, was actually really good at, at walking up and down stairs. So then she had this idea that she was going to put fake stairs in the hallway, and somehow that worked. That That's something people aren't formally doing on, online is uh, laying down fake stairways for, for the people they're caring for. And... There, there, there again, it's, uh, I, uh, the, the PI in my lab, you, you know, is, 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 is very interested in this because, you, you know, we're in the movement disorders, uh, side of things, but, uh, it's, 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 it's a little hard to figure out what sort of a research project you, you could do from this because there's so many variables, <laughs> you know? Anyway. Well, that's fascinating that, that yeah, but it's, it's, it's visual... fascinating and informally because, because uh, again, so, so, somehow the, the, the stairs are working. It's well, like a good yeah, yeah, the visual cue, I mean, it provides a visual pathway to sort of, you know, reduce the complexity of the task, at least. That's fascinating. Well, well, we we, ha we actually have no idea why, why it works. I, I mean... That that's something we could try doing is is you, you know again tasking them and, and doing uh, all of this stuff. But 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 again, I mean there there, there are so many variables. I, I mean, do do you have uh, uh, lines on the side? Is is it just the stairs? Is it 
you, you know, the, uh, how far apart are they, th things like that. It, it, it starts to get difficult to, to even parse what is working. Is, 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 is basically, uh, unfortunately, and, and there are, and it's uh, a, a little off what, what we are doing, which, which again is, is we are catching, trying to catch uh, what movement disorders are going on in the pre-Parkinsonian stage with the sleep disorders. And then at the very early stage, uh, along with uh, regular work, uh, I think typical Parkinsonian. I think uh, interesting would be if you know technology advances more. Once the one knows the onset of Parkinson two, just um, let the cerebellum take over more and more behaviors and just have a trigger, and in the striatum like a triggering electrode. Um, a tiny one in the in the striatum to start the movement and let the cerebellum take over the movement and then having a stop signal whenever the person wants to stop like to self-trigger or it, uh, combined with some augmented reality or something to have like a smart a smart uh, loop um, that basically triggers a movement um, while the the dopamine cells are dying, train the cerebellum to take over more movement behaviors. And the only thing the device then has to do in the end is um, just triggering the, the, the striatal neurons um, and then give a stop signal when to stop the movement. But it, this would involve a lot of like new technology and very like the person would need that uh, tr um, trained person by person, so it would be really expensive, I guess, and, and quite a well, lot. Well, yeah, we, we we have some less fancy stuff, but that that is interesting because uh, unfortunately, what my lab mate just proved uh, a couple years ago so uh, we, we know really well that uh, external triggers um, help people uh, in general to have better step initiation like like when you're just beginning to move that's what I'm looking at except for Eli don't let him be part of your study I mean okay um, <laughs> he, he does worse if you give him a cue he crashed my data so <laughs> Like, like, don't let people you know in your study. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, we, we all anyway, know and so, appreciate well, and well, love Eli's this, a special this, case. This, this, <laughs> no, no, this, this, this did lead to, to something that was interesting uh, that, that I ha have been uh, uh, making myself not, not even informally look into because there's one other elderly person that did worse with a Q and there, there are maybe, um, may, maybe about 5% of the, the Parkinsonians, uh, patients, maybe about four didn't, uh, do as well with the Q either. But anyway, what is really unfortunate is self queuing doesn't work. It has to be an external queue. So what, what people 
are looking at is especially when people freeze uh, to, 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 to have some sort of a uh, cue, whether, whether it's a noise or something that goes to their phone or something like that, 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 that helps them get unstuck because you will, some people freeze in park, with Parkinsonians. You, you get to the, 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 the stage where, where you just freeze and you can't move. It's, it's like molasses. Um, so, uh, now they're trying to figure out, uh, getting AIs to figure out when people are stopped because they want to stop and when they are stuck. So yeah, we, we, we have our, our, our good freezers and, and, and we're putting them through an obstacle course of like an elevator door and all this other stuff to freeze at. And then sometimes they get to stop when they want to. So, but yeah, so 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 even just a, a noise or some sort of a, a, a cue is uh, helps everyone <laughs> step off, and Parkinsonians uh, are a bit less than other people, but uh, way better than trying to do it on their own. So, but but yeah, the so 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 how how what what are, would there be other ways to access the cerebellum uh, externally? Katerina, do, uh, do you know? <laughs> that's a good question. I I think yeah, it's interesting. I have to think better about. Uh, how to basically make maybe a direct connection like or a better or increased connection between the the striatal projection neurons um, and the cerebellum without having to have this dopamine release somehow okay. maybe. What, 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 what about could, could you do it with uh Big magnets? Yeah. That, yeah, that, that, that was... Would that work? Yeah, I was thinking that somehow or having different... Especially the training, right? Yeah. To, so, for example, yeah, the cerebellum <laughs> are quite, quite complex behaviors. Yeah. Like bicycle riding... Oh, is oh not... it, it does. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, so the question is how can we use that and use that more and more like you know drive away drive the like make the cerebellum take over more and more responsibilities while parkinson is in yeah the disease progresses more and more basically uh, i don't know we would one would have to look into how to um do that but i would say to somehow record while people still have like relatively okay movement patterns to record those patterns like uh -huh. the activity patterns and then uh -huh. constantly get uh, 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 give that as a stimulus to the cerebellum so they uh -huh. hopefully um, would take over that memory basically uh -huh. that was the idea I had so far and then how to trigger and then somehow trigger those activity patterns that one, you know, gave them as an input and then recall them um, somehow. So maybe an implant or so that would, for, 
over the years give you know that make the cerebellum learn all those behavioral patterns mm. and then one would just need maybe to trigger us in a specific way like now walk and now do this and that so yeah so basically train the cerebellum to do all the movements instead of just a few um yeah would but be nice just a, but just st stepping back do you, do you think you could try some of that out by stimulating the cerebellum with tens just to see if you can the, the transcranial magnetic stimulator yeah it would be interesting to try it out i think i think that would be really interesting i don't know if somebody's working on this but i think it would hmm. be really cool hmm. Yeah, because we, there's there, there's one in the, the department we're using it in a different research study, so. Yeah, pitch the uh, idea. So that, that's something I'm, I, I'm really very uh, uh, involved with, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, I was thinking of the implants because there's this paper that came out where they created the chip and uh, they mm. recorded basically for paralyzed people people oh, so they recorded oh, yeah. Uh, yes. yeah and then yeah. you know so one could either try this to put the mm. chip and like totally leave the brain out basically <laughs> i think miguel nicolelis is working on something like that mm. to define a stimulation for parkinson or just do the same but with the cerebellum you know but one could mm -hmm. first maybe try with the magnetic stimulation well well yeah just for for proof of concept because when when, when they put in um oh be, be, because i i mean right now the 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 big thing is uh which you you know once you know when do you put in uh they, they uh, you, you know, do have brain implants where they're stimulating parts of the brain, but it's not the cerebellum. So right now it's deciding the trade-offs between the two that they're doing, where to target it better, what patterns to do. I, I mean, fortunately you can program in whatever patterns you want, but you, you, you know, and then, uh, but, but it's based on basically the the technology that you have and different people need different patterns and there's there, there's no sense to it there's no sense to even people walking which is annoying yeah so so actually like going back to the topic of um uh que queuing people or, or you know um shaking people out of their i shouldn't say shaking um uh, providing a stimulus that, that gets people out of uh, being frozen. Um, has, have, has there been any attempt to do like the, the really basic stupid smartphone app that, that like just detects that it's not moving around and emits a ping? Yeah, I don't know any of this. Leslie, do you? Leslie? Um, I'm not sure. Maybe you you muted. 
Or, or, yeah, you're muted, Leslie. I think that's a really good idea, Eli. Um, one should try that. I don't know if anyone is trying it or give this little vibration things on the iWatch that would maybe also be. I know that there are haptic, there's haptic technology, but it's. I think it's more in the terms of um, getting signals that you wouldn't hear uh, to your skin. But that that would be interesting if that would be enough to unfreeze somebody. I'm not sure. If we've lost Wesley, I will take that up with her later. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's getting quite late here. A really early morning tomorrow. So thank you very much for coming and asking all these interesting questions. And Leslie for sharing so much knowledge about the Parkinson studies. And um, yeah. Um, yeah, so thank you all very much. So follow the Science Society if you enjoy discussions like these. And um, we have more um, guest speakers coming. So tomorrow will be a really cool room about um, how spiders fly. It, has, uh, it will be really interesting um, about ballooning spiders. It has to do with physics. And um, yeah, it's... Uh, I. I I really thought this was really cool. So, and um, both um, like the first author and the last author of the paper will be coming. Then Dr. Singupta from Yale University will be uh, talking about her latest uh, research on how neurons find their place. It's a developmental study. It's really interesting and also really important for, especially for autism and so on. Uh, because um, there has been shown that uh, neurons there have an issue during development, finding the right place. Um, so, And then on Wednesday, we have Dr. Pustok and also his uh, PhD students coming to present the largest um, psychedelic study. Thousand or so. Anyways, on trips and neurotransmitters. Um, uh, so this will be really interesting to hear about that study. And then on Thursday, we have Dr. Liu talk, uh, if I don't remember wrong, um, I think he's at Penn State. Uh, yes, he's at Penn State uh, professor. He developed a new theory of entropy to um, solve a lot of um, uh, um, material design problems um, that um, that will um, lead us to a lot of new cool technology. So, and also just the the basic science part of it is really cool. And uh, yeah, so join us again. Uh, they will be all at this time at nine p.m. EST this week. Um, and um, yeah. Thanks for coming and hear you again soon, hopefully. Thanks, everyone. Great room. Okay, we'll close the room and three, two, one. Bye, everyone. <laughs>